Hi, my name is Stuart Weems and thanks for listening to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand insight strategies and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about what makes a better investment. That is, do houses make better investments or do apartments make better investments? And when I'm talking about houses and apartments, I'm talking about investment grade quality property. So I'm not just talking about off-the-plan style apartments or new-build apartments and so forth. So it's really important to, to clarify that. So let me pose a couple of questions to you. If you had a budget of, say, $1.3 million or above, you know, should you put that into one house, one really well-located house, uh, say in Melbourne or even possibly Sydney, in a really strong blue-chip suburb? Or should you invest that across a couple of older-style investment-grade apartments? Again, maybe still in Melbourne, Sydney or Brisbane. Secondly, if you've got an investment budget of, say, less than $1.3, let's say your budget is around so seven or $800,000, um, you could possibly buy a house in the outer suburbs, so maybe 20 or 30 k's out from the CBD in, again, Melbourne or Sydney, possibly get a house, uh, but you're going to compromise a little bit on location or even perhaps in a in a regional town. Uh, so still a, a well-established town that has, you know, 100, 150, 200,000 people. Um, and possibly you can buy in, you know, one of the best suburbs in that town. So should you do that or should you buy an apartment uh, again in, in Melbourne or Sydney in an investment grade location? So that's the the topic of what I want to talk about uh, during this podcast, and um, uh, what I'd like to do is just talk about uh, the pros and cons, and just mention some of them, and I apologise, this is going to be a bit of a longer episode than it normally is. So the first um, pro and con I'd like to talk about is that apartments are susceptible to future changes in um, supply. So um, typically, the number of houses in any, any blue-chip suburb is somewhat fixed. So I'm not talking about suburbs that are open to subdivision and so forth. Of course, we can change the, the houses or, or townhouse developments and so forth. We can, we can tend to change the townhouse, the, the house supply in those areas. But in blue-chip suburbs where land value is considerable, um, typically it's one house per block. And so if you look at a, a really blue chip suburb like East Melbourne, for example, on the fringe of the city, you know, the number of houses in East Melbourne over the last 60 years probably hasn't changed very much at all. In fact, maybe it's actually reduced over time. Whereas uh, the number of apartments in a, a a small geographical location can change considerably. All you need is a couple of really large-scale developments and you've changed the supply of, a, of apartments in a very small geographical location by a large amount. And that's naturally going to have some flow-on effect to the capital growth of apartments in that area because obviously we're changing supply and demand is held constant, then prices... Um, are going to be under pressure in terms of uh, not upward pressure but downward pressure. So that's one of the advantages of investing in a house is that we we can't really change the supply of houses so our supply is going to be fixed and as long as our demand is excessive we should benefit from um, capital growth. 
An advantage of investing in apartments over houses is that you have more flexibility. So a really good strategy could include, say, if you were in your 40s, for example, and thought, well, I want to retire at 60. So you've got, you know, if you're somewhere in your 40s, you might have sort of 20 to 15 years away from retirement. Potentially what you could do is go and buy two apartments, uh, hold them for uh, 15, 20 years, then sell one apartment when you're retired and use the net cash proceeds to repay the debt on the remaining apartment. Uh, therefore, you end up with one apartment with ostensibly no debt or very little debt, uh, and therefore it's going to generate a good, strong uh, income stream from the rental income, which will supplement uh, any income stream you, you draw from super, so your, your pension from super. Uh, whereas if you have a house, it's all or nothing, right? You, you either keep the asset or you don't. Uh, so you don't necessarily have as good a dead exit strategy uh, if you if you invest in one asset. Another advantage of uh, buying a couple of apartments over houses is you get to spread your eggs amongst many baskets. So different geographical locations and micro markets will perform differently at different times. And so by spreading your properties across a geographical location, also even from a tenant perspective as well, you can smooth those returns out. Um, and if you make a mistake and you choose the wrong asset, well, again, at least you've got other assets that are, that can compensate you until you sort of work out and work out what you want to do with that underperforming asset. Whereas if you put all your eggs in one basket, it's very much a make or break situation whether you get it right or, or not. An advantage of a house over, over an apartment is the element of control. You know, one of the biggest things or benefits of investing in direct property is that we've got complete control over the asset. So that is, we can um, improve it, we can change it, we can gift it, um, you know, we can manage it, uh, improve its management and so forth. But with apartments, uh, the, the, one of the challenges can be the owner's corporation. So the owner's corporation manages the common areas of the property, you know, uh, car parks, driveways, uh, lifts, these sorts of things. Um, and sometimes, you know, it can be um, some owners' corporations don't um, act as efficiently as others, and sometimes it can be difficult to make decisions. So investors might want to make decisions that are obviously going to improve the value of the asset, whereas owner-occupiers uh, aren't necessarily concerned about the value of the asset. They might be more concerned about cash flow for example. So investors might want to improve the outside of a building or repair the outside of a building, an apartment building, um, but any owner-occupier owners might think, well, we, I don't really care about that. Um, and so therefore, it can make it difficult uh, to make sure your owner's corporation is going to behave in a way that's actually going to maximise your investment. So you do lose an element of control there. Some examples, I've got a client that... Um, has a has a property and uh, there's some car parking on title, but potentially it's excessive car parking that's not ne really needed, and they could potentially either develop that land or sell it off to to a developer. Um, but to get everyone, all the owners, to agree to do that, that's difficult. Uh, changing in titles, if you've got an old stratum title, and, and then you want to change that to to strata, they've got more common strata title. 
um, which will improve its marketability and therefore value. Again, if you're an occupier and you're not you're not planning on selling the property or whatever, you don't really care about it. So it can be difficult. One way to mitigate this risk is to undertake really good due diligence at the beginning, and just make sure that it's that the owner's corporation is functioning effectively. And also, if the property is already in a in a good state, that is, you don't need to make any changes. That obviously reduces your risk as well. Another advantage of a couple of apartments over all apartments over houses is you typically get a high yield with apartments. So apartments will typically yield somewhere in the range of three and four percent per annum based on their value, where a house is somewhat closer to two and three percent, probably towards typically towards the end of that um, that range. So if you're investing in a house, you know maybe you get six to seven hundred dollars a week in terms of gross rent. But if it's an apartment, uh, maybe you get four to five hundred dollars a week, and if you've got two apartments, that's obviously eight hundred to a to a thousand dollars a week. So you could be somewhere between three to four hundred dollars better a week, better off a week gross, um, by investing in two apartments as opposed to one house. So you will get a higher yield. But uh, another advantage of a house over an apartment is the capital growth rate. So. Um, Obviously, I've, I've talked ad nauseum about compounding capital growth and that it's the simplest, easiest way path to um, financial independence. Um, when we do, uh, when we build financial plans for people, we assume we, 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 we prepare a financial model to, to work out whether the strategy is going to work. And the un, one of the underlying key underlying assumptions in that model is the growth rate in investment grade property. And we assume a growth rate of 7.5% over the long term. On average, and that's assuming the inflation rate's two and a half percent, so really five percent real growth. But really, the observed growth rate over the past uh, 20, 30 years is often a lot higher than that. When we look at investment grade property over the last 30 or 40 years, it's grown at 10 or 12 percent. So we've been conservative in our assumptions, which is fine, but we've got to understand that you know, property is going to produce really strong growth. So what I did is I just picked at random some most recent sales in a, a patch in, in Melbourne, in inner city blue chip Melbourne, and then a, a, a street in, or a couple of streets in Geelong, in a, a suburb called Newtown. I come from Geelong, so I know it quite well. It's a regional um, city in Victoria. But what, what I'm sort of trying to um, compare is, What's the gross different growth differential between a, a blue chip house in Melbourne and say a, a really well located house in a regional centre? So let's see what what the growth differential is. So I pick fifty nine uh, Donald Street in Paran. It's grown at ten point four percent over the last thirty seven years. So massive growth, um, and obviously over that thirty seven nearly forty year four decade period. We've had, you know, different in interest rates, governments, tax rules, that is CGT, GST, negative gearing, population changes. Everything's happened over that time, right? And I would argue that demand for that location uh, over the next 40 years will be stronger than what it has been over the past uh, 40 years. But anyway, so I compared that to a couple of houses in Geelong. Uh, so Buckingham Road and uh, Cairns Avenue, which are both in Newtown, both in quiet streets, older style properties, mostly land value and so forth. Their growth rates were 78 to 8.8%, depending on the house. So around so 7 to 9 or so 8 to 9%, I should say. So therefore, the growth gap, the growth differential between 
prime blue chip inner city and a really good quality, high quality location in a regional centre is going to be about one and a half to two and a half percent per annum. So you're going to get greater growth uh, from a blue chip house uh, naturally, and that could make a, a, a big difference. Now, apartments uh, are going to give you, obviously give you a higher income yield because there's more accommodation. And uh, as a result, they have less land value compared to a house. Again, in, I'm comparing two bleach locations. So you're not going to get the same level of capital growth, or at least you can't expect to get the same level of capital growth if you're investing in an apartment as a compared to a house. And intuitively, I think it's reasonable to assume that the growth gap is going to be somewhere between 1% and 2.5%. So it's kind of similar between comparing a house in Melbourne versus a house in Geelong, you know, where the growth gaps probably, as I said, between one and a half and two and a half percent. If you're comparing an apartment in Melbourne and a house in Melbourne, again, both blue chip low, uh, investment grade suburbs, then I think the um, capital growth differential is probably, it's reasonable to assume it's going to be one to two and a half percent. So, ostensibly, the investment grade apartment in Melbourne and the well-located house in, in an excellent street in Geelong have very similar investment return attributes. So they can be sort of compar- compared or, or comparable, except for the, the thing that I think the apartment in Melbourne exhibits significantly lower risk than the house in Geelong. And the reason for that is that Melbourne's got a population of close to 5 million. Geelong's got a population of about 200,000. So there's sustainable and more robust demand in Melbourne and arguably the, the returns are slightly better as well from a capital growth perspective uh, at a much lower risk. So why would you ever then take the risk of then investing in a regional town? Even though you're getting a house, it's no big deal because it's not translating into higher returns. Uh, some other considerations, what other investments do you have? So, you know, if, you, if you've already got a very strong asset base of shares and other property and so forth, then um, putting a lot of wealth into one asset, you know, being a house, isn't such a big deal. If you're just starting out and you have no other investment assets, then putting all your money into one house is, is feels a bit risky to me because it's like putting all your eggs in one basket. So really it depends on you know your goals and other assets and risk profile and so forth and that's what you need to take into account when deciding how to allocate your budget. Um, in people often ask is it is it worth investing in adjoining suburbs? So you know if I can't afford in a blue chip location maybe I f- I move a little further out. And my answer is exactly the same answer is to the regional Geelong example. What you're doing, if you're going to move further out just to get yourself a house, you're, what you're doing is you're buying an asset that's really probably a 7 out of 10 as opposed to buying an apartment that might be a 10 out of 10. And at the end of the day, it's the quality of the returns that will determine, the quality of the investment that will determine the returns. So moving further out or moving into an adjoining suburb, one that doesn't, hasn't demonstrated the capacity to generate growth, um, might work out. And certainly there has been examples of it working out. But we can't fool ourselves into thinking that it's the same investment strategy that exhibits the same risks. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to find an asset that's always going to have sustainable excessive demand. And it's hard to argue that an outlying suburb will be more in demand than an inner suburb by a broad spectrum of the population. 
So not just one potential sort of group of buyers and, and so forth. So again, if we want to prepare ourselves for an environment where there's less demand for property or population growth uh, comes off a little bit or the economy is struggling, well then the, the good quality areas will always perform well. So there you go. There's a few things to, to think about. As I said, I apologise for the length of this episode because I like to keep them short and, and sharp. Um, but there is a lot to talk, to think about when considering you know, how to structure your property investment portfolio and more correctly, your overall financial plan. Uh, so some of the things that I've talked about uh, are some of the things that you need to consider. And unfortunately, there's no one-size-fits-all solution here. It is very much dependent on your own personal situation, your own goals, cash flow, risk profile and financial plan. But anyway, there you go. You have some of the things that we like to consider uh, when giving that sort of advice. So until next time, take care. Bye for now.